morning, ladies and gentle people. Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney and the rest of the world. It's a great Saturday morning in Lincoln, Nebraska, and it's great to have you with us. We've got a great show today for you on exploring unexplained phenomena, and there's no there's no birthday bash yet. We celebrate about October 10th, our 35th anniversary, 35 years of being on the air. And uh, I think I'll be around. I think Jim will be here. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of you guys and gals will be out there, so maybe we can sing the happy birthday song. Maybe I can get Jim to sing it. No, you don't want me to sing. Oh, yeah, I do. We have someone at the door here. We're going to have a a, a great time today and all the the rest of the future here. So let's talk about today's show. We've got uh, Charlene and the Capital Humane Society up first with Pet Talk, Dogs and Cats for Adoption. Then we have Brent Rains from Tennessee, the editor and publisher of Alternate Perceptions Magazine, and his segment, What is Reality? And then we've got our main guest, Marie Jones, and she's written a book called Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings. Wow. So that's going to kick us off big time into this October month. Um, we are, as KZUM goes, their fiscal year, we're a couple of days away from the end of the, the fiscal year, and we are about $2,000, as of, I think, yesterday, short of our goal of $40,000. So uh, there are thousands of people that are listening right now. If you all went to KZUM.org, and just kicked in five bucks, we would have that smash. We would just we would just blow that goal out of the water. What triggers the corporation from a public toy boat, toy boat? <laughs> what triggers the corporation for public broadcasting's grant of about sixty five thousand dollars is KZUM raising enough funds locally to, quote-unquote, prove they are viable. Mm -hmm. So the goal is $40,000. We're $2,000 short. And um, I hope you can understand the logic that I'm employing here, how important that donation might be. If you've got $5, donate it, because it's going to help us reach that $40,000 goal, and that triggers that grant money. It's KZUM.org, and you can do it right there. It'll take you about two minutes, and we appreciate that very much. And and we've got until September 30th to do this, so that's two more days. Okay, gang, so let's get that that done. Yeah, let's get her done. Okay. Hey, so we've got somebody uh, that's in the studio here with us again. (laughs) A a stranger that we haven't seen in a while. Colleen, what's going on? Um, Nothing much. Um, okay, thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, my mom's uh, recovered pretty well. Um, yeah, she's starting good. to uh, move around a bit more, um, more energy, more everything. So, and, and she's doing it's great to hear. Yeah, she's doing a lot better than she was um, at the beginning of the year, basically. Mm-hmm. So. That's great to hear, Colleen. All the best to your mother and to you and your family. And it's sure great to have you back here, too. Mm-hmm. 
Folks, I, I hope sometimes you can see the art that Colleen does because she is phenomenal. So maybe we can uh, try to get a show for her sometime. Yeah, and, uh, she posts that stuff on her Facebook page, I think. So yeah. I, know, I know a couple of people have galleries. Maybe we can get to Colleen's stuff that would you know, be up cool. on the wall someplace. Um, let's go to uh, Charlene. And this is Pet Talk. Charlene's with the Capital Humane Society. And uh, let us first say, go Big Red. Go Big Red, absolutely. <laughs> I think there's a game today. There is. <laughs> there's lots of frivolity at play out there in the, uh, in the world. So <laughs> if, you, if you venture out of your house, you'll, you'll know immediately there's going to be a game today. Although, I'm probably the only person in the studio that doesn't know what time it's being played today. Sometime this evening. Oh, okay. Just in time so, for the rain. Yeah, get out and get your shopping done early today, folks. Charlene, it's great to have you with us. What's going on at the Capital Humane Society? Oh, we're very busy. A lot of great animals looking for homes. Uh, dogs, cats, rabbits. I think we have a bird. So if you're looking for a companion animal, we hope you'll consider adoption. And so what's going on down there for events today? Um, well, upcoming events include our 33rd annual Tails and Ties Dinner. Um, that's going to be in November, so November 8th. And you can learn more and purchase tickets by going to our website at capitalhumanesociety.org. It's a great and important event. Um, it'll have a live auction, silent auction, a wine poll. Uh, so it's a great time and for an important cause. Information's up at capitalhumanesociety.org. As well as we've got the Cats for Adoption page. Who are you going to start with? We are going to start with Annie. And she's a beautiful tortoiseshell cat. Isn't she pretty? Two years old, short fur, bright green eyes, a beauty looking for a nice family that's going to take really good care of her. She looks so inviting. That fur looks so soft. You could just sit there and just pet her and she would just... <laughs> yes. Yep. 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 Therapy. <laughs> okay. Great looking cat. And if you go to capitalhumanesociety.org... You can look at the picture of Annie, click on that picture, and it expands and tells you a little bit more about the, the, uh, the cat or the dog. In this case, Annie the cat. She's got a buddy. His or her name is? Bob. And Bob is six <laughs> Bob months old. Yep, really a cute little tabby. Short hair, uh, bright eyes, very playful, wants very much to have fun and be loved in a new home. Hey, Bob, how you doing? <laughs> you and Annie getting along pretty good because two cats are better than one. Hey, Bob, That's give right. me a beer out of the fridge, would you? <laughs> okay, Bob, who's your friend besides Davima? Colleen, Jim, and Scott? <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Davima, and she's got really pretty colors. She's got her little paw up there getting ready to pat at the person taking the picture. She's very photogenic, about a year old, charming and clever, and will keep you smiling all day long. Oh, you got to watch out for those clever ones. <laughs> I, I think this is the first Davima that we've ever yeah, had. That's an interesting name. Very interesting. And she's putting, as they say, her best claw or best paw forward. <laughs> Beautiful cat. We've got Annie, Bob, and Davima. 
three great cats, two cats are better than one. Maybe this is that day for you. Would you call her Dave for short? I don't know. Do you still have that, that, uh, that adoption special? We actually did complete that one, so okay. it is no longer, yeah, but that was, that was great. Okay, so how many cats did you get out the door? Uh, I think there were 125 for that um, promotion, that which was very, very fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Way to go, yes. Lincoln. Uh, Annie, Bob, and Davima, how can they see these great cats today or tomorrow? Please visit us at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. We are open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 530. And who's or what's up next? Next up, we can talk about dogs. We can do that, yeah. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Place is going to the dogs, I'll tell you. Okay, <laughs> who do we start with here? We'll start with Handsome Buddy. He's 10 years young, a Border Collie mix, just a very loving, loyal dog, looking for a family that he can be devoted to that will take excellent care of him. Hey, bud. Great-looking dog there. I hey, bet you. you've herded your share of kids to school <laughs> and, and in the backyard and... <laughs> Buddy, go get the kids. Time for dinner. Yeah, you, you want to talk about clever animals that border collies are fit right into that category. Yes. I bet Buddy's got a buddy, and that would be? Peaches. And Peaches has pretty blue eyes. She is an Australian cattle dog mix, a spade female about a year old. She's very, very shy, but also affectionate. Once she gets to know you, then she's just a really, really fun friend. Um, she doesn't care for other dogs, so she wants to be the one and only canine. But if you think you can provide her with the perfect home, we hope you'll consider Peaches. Okay, interesting markings. It kind of looks like she was running down the hallway and bumped into a freshly painted wall. <laughs> just a few little spots of color amongst a sea of white. Uh, Peaches has also got a friend, and that would be? Next up is Marley, a two-year-old spade female blue healer mix. I see maybe some border collie in her, too. She's very yeah, bright. Yeah, intelligent. Also looking to be the one and only canine in the home, um, but she's very energetic and wants to have fun. So if you're looking for a happy companion, Marley might be perfect for you. Yeah, she's got that eager look on her face like, let's go. Uh-huh. Somebody took that that walking leash and put her around her neck, and I think she's, yep, she's either time. she's ready, saying, come on, come on, let's go. Oh, boy. Um, again, you can go to capitalhumanesociety.org and click on these pictures of Buddy, Peaches, or Marley and read more about them. And uh, then go out and see these dogs today and tomorrow. Here's Charlene with more information. Please visit us at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. We are open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 until 5.30. Okay, so um, you're going to be working for part of the day, and then are you going to watch the game tonight? Um, I'm not sure. I think it does come on like around 6.30, so maybe we will. It might be fun. I'm like an old-time guy. <laughs> Jim says, yep. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I, I, I just like listening to the game on the radio. I just, somehow I do. It just takes me back yeah. to, to being a kid. So um, thank you, uh, Charlene, for all that you do out there and for all these great dogs and cats that, that we uh, can talk to our audience about. 
And, uh, and we look uh, forward to talking with you next week. Chris the cockatiel, who I just looked up on the website. What a sharp-looking bird. Yeah, so we have all kinds of great animals, including Chris. Including <laughs> so, Chris. Yeah, uh, if you're looking for guinea pigs or rabbits, we even have a horse available by appointment. <laughs> so um, please consider adoption first for your companion animals. Okay, Charlene, have a great rest of the weekend. Thanks for all you do. Thanks. And we hope you meet your fundraising goal so you get your grant. You do a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Fingers crossed. That grant she's talking about is we need to, uh, to raise about 2000 bucks before the end of the fiscal year, which is a couple days. And we get uh, that raised, and that triggers a Corporation for Public Broadcasting grant that is a pretty big uh, operating chunk. Mm-hmm. So please do consider uh, a donation kzum.org, five bucks, takes you about uh, two minutes. And boy, if everybody listening right now, thousands of folks are listening. Uh, If everybody just did that, we would have that just nailed and just blasted out of the water. So we sure hope you can do that for us. Next up is Brent Rains. And if I pushed all the right buttons, Brent Rains should be right there. Hi, Brent. Hey, Scott. There he is. I'm right here. Brent is the editor and publisher of Alternate Perceptions magazine, and uh, he's retired, living the good life in Tennessee, and probably staying just as busy as ever. Right, Brent? Yeah, someone told me that before I retired, I'd find that I was busier than when I was working. Darn, it's true. Yeah, I've, I've heard that from a lot of retired people. Because I get, you know, a couple of grandkids see daily that live right next door, and they keep the old man busy. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> so I went to your current uh, uh, online magazine edition, and that's um, apmagazine.info, and especially enjoyed the, uh, the article written uh, on John Keel again. Mm, good, yeah. Um, and uh, I just uh, attended the Mothman Festival last weekend up in... Uh, Pleasant, West Virginia. They had, oh, they estimated they were going to have ten, twelve thousand people there in that little town. And uh, sure enough, I'm sure they did. Every everywhere you went, if you wanted to go to a vendor um, to get food or get into the Mothman Museum, uh, you had to stand in line. Uh, I had to stand in line about fifteen, good fifteen minutes, just to uh, get a couple hot dogs and uh, some drinks for my wife and I. <laughs> did you but, uh, drive there or fly there? Drove there, yeah. It was uh, a little over 400 miles. Oh, that's doable. It was a good good drive, yeah. And uh, it um, on the way back, uh, my wife, uh, we're going down the, um, the Bluegrass Parkway, returning home, going west, and we're going through Anderson County, and uh, it's uh, Sunday morning. We, you know, we left a little early, and my wife uh, said, holy, I'll just say ask you go from there. I just saw a Bigfoot, and uh, it was to the right, sort of north, and, uh, you know, because I started questioning her. And uh, anyway, it turns out it was like a wooden cutout uh, thing that's, you know, shaped and painted to look like a, an upright Bigfoot out in the field. <laughs> but it startled her. She took a second look, you know, and, and uh, kind of startled me there behind the wheel going, you know, <laughs> down this highway. And... Uh, 
before I could really get a look, uh, you know, we passed the fields and it was just trees. But uh, anyway, everybody's going up that way, and they think they see Bigfoot, they might want to double check. <laughs> <laughs> From February of 2018, <clears throat> I got a report northeast of Lincoln, and the reason why uh, it's theorized that Lincoln, Nebraska, can have uh, and has had Bigfoot sightings is because we had a famous <clears throat> repository of salt here. We actually have a small <clears throat> tributary called Salt Creek. And back at the mm-hmm. turn of the century, there were three or four companies that actually did mining operations to extract the, the salt from the area for industrial purposes. So anytime you've got a salt lick, that tends to draw animals. And then you've got the old chain of predators, and Bigfoot would be at the apex of that. So a guy is driving in February of 2018 uh, on North 84th near Waverly Road, and um, he has a group of deer on his left that decide to cross right in front of his car. And so they're, they're crossing the, the, uh, the street, and it's snowing, it's very slick, and so he applies his brakes, the car starts to slide, and he gets the car off, but it's partially off in the shoulder. Luckily, he was able to avoid hitting any of the deer. They ran down into a field toward a, a group of trees, and suddenly, to a deer, this group of deer turned right angle and began running really hard away from that group of trees. And this guy sees this big, dark shape come running out of the woods after the deer. Hmm. I bet you his adrenaline uh, rate, like my wife's there, had a quite a, except his must have been much <laughs> much greater. Uh, that, uh, so what happened next? So it was, it was snowing, and he lost sight of these deer running. They would have been running um, uh, to the right of his car, running the opposite direction with this, um, this whatever this was. He guesses it was a Bigfoot, but it was really running, running hard. And, uh, you know, just as we enjoy <laughs> deer, <laughs> apparently so does Bigfoot. Um, yeah. Wow. So as long as we've got you on this subject, um, because John Keel said that there are 2,400 aspects or subcategories to, quote-unquote, the paranormal, uh, I wonder how we explain Bigfoot and the ability so many times of this creature that appears to be flesh and blood, to occupy physical space, to leave tracks to interact with the environment, to uh, run hard after deer, trying to run them down, and the ability of this same elusive creature to leave tracks into a meadow or clearing that just stop, and there's no further tracks, and there's no creature. Did, did that creature somehow dematerialize? Did it... Did it walk between worlds, did it bilocate? Um, how do we explain that, Brent? Yeah, well, I mean, Keel's 
you know, speculated that, uh, you know, the whole thing about a parallel world um, and that from time to time we had intrusions from this this parallel world with different kinds of uh, beings, creatures, and uh, for a time there would be excitement, say, in one area and, and there would be bodies of various animals, cattle and deer, whatever, and then uh, there would be there would also be the, um, um, you know, reports of where it's there and the hunters would come out. Usually, uh, I know twice here in Tennessee, we've had sudden spurts of different areas of Bigfoot and then, and, and people are running around with rifles and stuff trying to get it. And then suddenly everything just dies down to nothing. And, uh, and they go on for several days, a week, two weeks. And then it's like, uh, you know, it never happened. <laughs> But uh, it's, you know, that was his speculation. Uh, that and plus the fact that some of these might have been, you know, just temporary uh, energy forms that took physical, became physical matter, what he called transmogrification. And uh, then they would, uh, as he said, once uh, then the poor slobs just literally melt. And I thought it was real interesting when I was working on the Keel book, you know, I came across this, uh, this study with the, uh, Peter Herkos, uh, the well-known legendary psychic that mm-hmm. Andrew Gehart studied back in the 50s, and he was the psychic of the stars, they said, and mm-hmm. he, uh, he was handed some envelopes to tell what was, uh, you know, if he could get any impressions. So these were sealed envelopes, and one of them was uh, from Stan Gordon, uh, who studied lots and lots of Bigfoot UFO cases in his home state of Pennsylvania. And uh, so... He presumably had no idea what was in this envelope, and uh, what it was it was a print of uh, which uh, which Stan Gordon had a cast of, as well as pictures of this three-toed print that had been showing up at uh, sites in in Pennsylvania back in the seventies, where they had a major flap of UFO Bigfoot incidents, and uh, he um, he said uh, this creature is uh you know this isn't the whole creature he said this is from another another world and uh he ripped open the the envelope and it was one of the you know picture of this three-toed print he took a marker and started drawing two more toes he said this is what it looked like before it started to disintegrate you know that was right on wasn't it that was that was that was pretty accurate you know we could extend this uh this uh, search for an explanation to the festival that you just came from um, in Point Pleasant, Virginia, the Mothman um, annual get-together. Um, you know, if the Mothman was, this creature was seen by so many people in its off hours, where was it? Right, and at that time, too, when Keel went to interview, uh, he wrote that he interviewed over a hundred witnesses and it wasn't just Mothman. It was also, um, other cryptid forms, uh, including Bigfoot. And, um, that about half of the people were, had some kind of psychic sensitivity he noticed as well. And, um, Chris, in my book, uh, I think a great, a great, uh, addition to what Keel wrote contribution was also, uh, Aki Fresnan, from Stockholm, Sweden, who came over in 1969 and 
1970 and spent several weeks in that area and uh, interviewed about 30 uh, of the Mothman witnesses and was very, very impressed by, you know, what he what he found out and the psychic elements, the poltergeist and premonitions and such. And he said the people were changed. He would talk to relatives and they would say they're not the same person. And all these people had almost like, uh, had like post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, they, they were smoking heavily and they would, you know, just kind of sh- have the shakes as they're telling it. He'd, say, you know, he'd even say, you sure you want to tell me this? You know, because you can see it really disturbed them. And, uh, you know, they would insist, yes, I want to tell you the whole story. And, uh, and it was always about the, the glowing red eyes that just kind of almost hypnotized them. And, and they, you know, uh, I remember I was there in 1976 and I talked to Linda Scottberry and found out that she'd had numerous encounters. And, uh, she said that you, you keep wanting to go back like the TNT area with people. And, and, uh, but she says when you, you you're curious, but when you actually see it, you just, uh, become like spellbound. You just can't, uh, you know, you're like frozen. And, uh, it's one, one strange bird. That's for sure. You know, the local officials, they tried to dismiss it as a barn owl and a sandhill crane and, and such. Um, but it was really weird the way it would put out, you know, extend its wings out. And then it would just sort of fly straight up without flapping its wings. Um, and I was just uh, just looking at an article that uh, had been submitted by Rick Hilberg, well-known ufologist for many years in, in this field as well. And he uh, did a recap on the 1948 Washington State uh, Birdman accounts. And I noticed in those cases, uh, it reports that they would shoot up in the air in one instance. And, and also, they just sort of fly around without flapping the wings, you know. I thought, well, that's kind of kind of like what people reported in in West Virginia in the in the sixties. So, uh, I, I, you know, but if um, if we got a moment too, I'd like to mention something I found out. Uh, you know, last time we talked was the uh, um, we talked about the EVPs. Yes. And uh, anyway, Saturday which was September 21st, I was talking with John Frick, who's a well-known paranormal researcher, and I interviewed his brother, Tim, in, in my book. And uh, they had spent about eight hours with Keel at the Mothman Festival in 2003. And they, you know, they got to talk with him quite extensively, and I, I was telling them about my John Keel EVPs, you know, and uh, when I got to the one where I told him where I, which we had played the last show, where this voice uh, says "Smuck Bigfoot," uh, he thought that was quite interesting, and uh, he said that back in 2003, when he and uh, his brother were talking with John Keel, that um, they, were, they asked him about a certain researcher, which we won't mention the guy's name. But anyway, uh, Keel's response, he said, was short to the point. He said he's a smuck <laughs> or smuck. Really? And uh, <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'd always wondered, you know, did Keel talk like that at all? And uh, he said he, you know, he listened to the EVP and he said to him it even sounded similar to Keel. Um, I know I got the same reaction to Dan Drazen, who went with Keel down in, at different places in West Virginia in '67 and saw UFOs too and, and met 
many of the witnesses and was really bonded to uh, Mary Heyer. He really liked her, the news lady. And uh, they, um, you know, in fact, when she passed, uh, as in, you, you know, as in the book, uh, uh, he described how he had this strange sensation and um, something, you know, it was some kind of a psychic thing going on with him. And, and then about a half hour later, uh, Linda Scadbury's father calls him up on the phone and tells him that a half hour before Mary Heyer had passed away. And uh, he said that's when he had this strange impression. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said that he, she was, he found out that she was very psychic. And, and uh, when they first met, this felt very connected. And uh, he was going to do a documentary for PBS, and for some reason, PBS decided not to not to do it. So he never did any, any actual filming, which was such a shame because that would have been quite something if we'd had an early documentation like that with footage of all these people telling their stories. Brent, tell us uh, the people that that haven't uh, gotten a copy or haven't heard. Tell us the full title of your book on John Keel. Yes, it's uh, John A. Keel, The Man, the Myth, and the Ongoing Mysteries, which is available on Amazon. And I've got to give my wife, Joan, credit for the title. She was the one that came up with the title. And uh, she says, you never give me credit, so here we go. (laughs) Okay, it's official. Um, it's official now, yeah. Brent Rains is the editor and publisher of the online monthly magazine. I suggest that you uh, sign up for it. It's free of charge. And it's apmagazine.info. There'll also be booked there and links uh, for the, the book as well. Um, Brent, is Tennessee playing today? Are you going to root for him? Uh, gee, I don't know. This, uh, I, I know Nebraska's cool. playing today. <laughs> Somebody told me yesterday it was <laughs> Ohio State, so... I may try to listen to the game later on, but I hope you have a great rest of your weekend, and thanks for being part of the team. All right. Well, thank you, Scott. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Talk to you soon, Brent. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. Brent Rains, the uh, website is apmagazine.info, and the editor-publisher of Alternate Perceptions Magazine. We'll be right back with our guest, And that's Marie Jones, Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings. And we'd like to say thank you to Jane, who just sent a donation in to KZUM.org. Jane, thank you for that hunk-o donation. We appreciate that so much. That was really moving to open up that that email and to see uh, your donation there. So, folks, uh, we had $2,000 and she just took care of $250 of that. So I'm not asking for everybody to do that. Just just do 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks. But let's get this done. We've got $2,000 to raise before the end of September. And please be one of those folks. Uh, follow the great example that Jane just set. You can do that at kzum.org. And uh, every bit helps. We'll be right back after this. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And that track is called Sky Dancer. I've had people ask me about that. It's one of my favorites. And one of mine as well. It comes off of the Cobalt recording. 
by the band Enigma. That's the Enigma from Nebraska, not the one from Germany. Our main guest is Marie Jones, Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings. Marie Jones is the author of over 15 nonfiction books on the paranormal, conspiracies, ancient knowledge, unknown mysteries, and cutting-edge science. And Visible Inc. Uh, does such a great job with these books. She's a regular contributor to Fate Magazine, and she's been on uh, multiple radio shows, the History Channel's Ancient Aliens, makes her home in Southern California. So she's gotten up fairly early to be with us. Marie, are you a morning person? No, not at all. <laughs> oh, thank you so but much. It's okay. I mean, it's not, it, no, it's not that early here. You know, it's, it's not like four in the morning. So, but really, I used to be a night owl. Now I'm neither. I'm not a night owl. I'm not a morning person. I think I'm like a mid-afternoon person. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so uh, when Marie Jones gets up, what's in your cup? I've got some Sulawesi. Coffee. Uh, fresh ground Sulawesi in mine, so. What is that? Is that a type of it was. Or? It's from Indonesia. It used to be called Celebes, and then Celebes Colosi, and now it's called Sulawesi. And it's oh. my favorite coffee. I buy, you know, Costa Rican, the darkest, dark roast, heavy-duty coffee I can find. And I recently started to drink it black. And, you know, it's bitter and kind of gross, but it does the trick. Um, and then every now and then I'll, you know, I'll go back and I'll put some creamer or something in it. And you realize how sweet that stuff is, <laughs> you know, when your taste buds get used to not having it. Um, but, yeah, my first thing when I get up, if I, I might do some exercises and weights or whatever, but it's usually, oh, no, let's get that coffee made, kids. So congratulations on this new book. And as I said in the preamble here, um, your publisher, uh, Visible Inc. Uh, Press, does such a great job with your book. Uh, so oh, I picked I this it. up, yeah. and I, I thought to myself, okay, this is, this is celebrity ghosts and notorious hauntings. But ladies and gentlemen, it's a lot more than that. Then all you're going to get celebrity ghosts and famous hauntings throughout history. But if I opened up the, the index here, you're going to find ships and lighthouses, vehicles, roadways, trains, tracks, bridges, roads, caves, battlefields, cemeteries, churches, hotels, prisons, creepy schools, planes, <laughs> airports, urban legends, notorious ghosts. And at the very end, tying this book all together, is uh, reports from people that have been to these sites. The chapter is titled, Being There. Um, Plantations, Hollywood landmarks, movie sets. Uh, So this is a huge book. I'm thumbing up the last page here. It's 388 pages. Um, What... What does this represent in the life of Marie Jones? How long did you work on this? Oh, my. So, you know, it's interesting. I love Visible Inc. I'm doing a lot of books with them. They're just 
absolutely fantastic to work with. And what usually will happen is that Roger, who uh, from Visible, he and I will go back and forth and talk about, oh, what do you want to work on next? And we'll banter some ideas around. So this, we were trying to give some, because I started out writing a lot of paranormal, but I kind of felt like, well, everything's been done. You know, what could I possibly do that hasn't been done? And really, ideally, that answer would be nothing. <laughs> but he came up with this idea of putting together a collection of celebrity ghost sightings. And I said, okay, that's great. Let's go. We sort of expanded upon that, with, you know, with the notorious haunting. But as I was doing all the research, which I have to say has been really a most fun book for me to research. I just, I was bombarded with reports of, of different locations. And it got to the point where my biggest problem with this book was picking and choosing what was going to go in and what was going to stay out. And I will tell you, there's enough material probably for three more volumes. Oh, easily. Uh, just, yeah, yeah, and then after the book came out, it came out very recently, having people message or email me or, you know, private message me on uh, Facebook or what have you, oh, my God, I can't believe you didn't cover blah, blah, blah. It's why I didn't know about blah, blah, blah. Or they have a local urban legend they were telling me about or just, you know, some new, and no, the word notorious, I apply to anything that, is an unusual haunting, whether it's a very well-known place or a not-so-well-known. Um, you know, and really any haunting is unusual. But it just absolutely amazed me that there could be several volumes of this. Mm -hmm. And I look through it sometimes and I'm thinking, how the heck do I find all that stuff? It really was a fun, creepy but fun book to put together. Were there any surprises as you pulled this this information together? You know, I got all the typical stuff I knew, you know, celebrity sightings. I knew that there were the typical elders, Marilyn Monroe, and John Lennon, and Buddy Holly, and the things that I had heard about before. And I was a little surprised to find that there were a lot more celebrities that people have, uh, and both modern and, let's say, old-time Hollywood, that people had seen. And I know, of course, that people see historical ghosts all the time. That's stuff I kind of expected, even though I was, you know, a little surprised to find how extensive it was. But here's what really got me. I had no idea. You know, you were moving off tunnels and bridges and byways and highways and hiking trails. I had no idea how diverse these locations can be. You know, there have been people that have reported all kinds of bizarre paranormal activity in canyons, um, on hiking trails. And we hear about all the time, like national parks and forests, a lot of really weird stuff goes on. I think the absolute biggest surprise, though, for me was the haunted castles. The reason being, they are probably the most richly historical sites because they're so old, you know, some of them. And some of the stories behind what goes on in these castles, it was like, oh, I had no idea. 
And there's one in particular that just really struck me so much. Uh, Lucian Castle, which is in Salzburg, Austria. This is like my absolute favorite case in the entire book. They uh, conducted, during the um, 17th century, they conducted witch trials there. And hundreds of people were put to death. However, the unique thing that happened was they were mainly men and boys. And I, you know, you always associate witchcraft or witch hunts and witch trials with women. So um, that was kind of shocking to me. And just the richness of history. A lot of these castles are open to tour. I would love to fly overseas and, you know, tour every single one of them, but I think that just the surprises of the diversity in the location and then in some, you know, some places, the richness of the history and how it lends to all the ghost stories that you hear about today. Yeah, I just, I just thumbed to that story and uh, that is horrific what people did to other people suspecting them of being a uh, worker of the devil or a witch and uh, then inflicting torture on them that would be likened to what somebody that would be following the devil would do to somebody else. And incredible. Yeah, exactly. You know, these castles are absolutely stunning. Some of them you just look at and you can say, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure that one's haunted. Um, and, you know, and it's funny because in doing the research and looking at pictures, I kept thinking, how, you know, we talk about who built the pyramids. How did they build these amazing structures? And I'm sure, you know, they did them somewhat quickly because somebody needed to live there. So, you know, you research a book like this and you end up finding all these little tangents of really intriguing stuff that then I would go Google and read about. It's like, okay, okay, I need to get back to what I'm writing about here. So it really was a lot of fun. The Crescent Hotel, um, I am a uh, traveler that has been down to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and so I recognize the Crescent Hotel is uh, part of that chapter and constructed in 1886, and it was built over the top of a, uh, a natural spring, and a hot spring, rather, and uh, was associated with uh, uh, alternative healings, and uh, then there was oh, uh, yeah. uh, actually a morgue that was set up uh, in the, the building, and people can now stay in the building. I have friends that have been down there that believe that they experienced something paranormal. So this could easily be um, uh, for a person that travels and or is anticipating travel, this could be a great book to go to the back and look up the state or the location and say, well, we're going to be within so many, you know, hours of this place. Let's go check this out. So, um, Yeah, yeah. And again, a lot of them do open for tours. Um, the Crescent Hotel... Um, Larry Flaxman, who I've written a number of books with, because he lives in Arkansas, he goes there every year. And they do not just a, a big investigation, but they actually have the people that work at the hotel will dress in the clothing of the times. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a reenactment. They, they, they're very serious about 
you know, telling the public what's going on there. And I think, I know Larry has been in the morgue. I think the tour actually allows you to go into the morgue. There's a lot of hotels that do this. And I had somebody ask me once, this is really kind of interesting. They said, do you think these hotels are really haunted? And they're, so they're allowing the tours to, you know, share that with people? Or do you think that they're just doing that to drum up business? You know, I think it, it, I don't think a hotel would claim to be haunted without some reports of activity. But I think it's mm-hmm. kind of cool that they allow the public to come and they say, look, you know, you can walk around and you can go into these rooms and see if you feel a certain vibe. Um, you know, a lot of times they might have a psychic or a medium on hand. Or, so, yeah, it's it's part of their business now. Uh, in the it's first like business model. <laughs> in the first part of the book, Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings by our guest Marie Jones, she talks about uh, definitions that I think are important. Uh, and this is interesting. Folks, we think of a ghost as being the departed loved one, friend, colleague, somebody that's lived and died. But Marie writes that there can be living ghosts. Is is that almost like a case of bilocation, Marie? It could be that. It could be... Um, I, I just have always felt like, and I know I'm not alone in this, I'm not you know the first person to say this, but a lot of times the sightings and things that people would report, they don't always fit one cookie-cutter shape. You might hear people talk about ghosts that appear to be very aware that they're being observed, and they, they're almost interactive. And then you'll hear people talk about ghosts that don't seem to know they're being watched, and they just repeat the imprints. They repeat the same behaviors over and over and over again. And then I started to hear, you know, all this, my father was a geophysicist, but we used to talk about quantum physics and parallel universes and all this stuff and time travel. And, you know, it just really felt to me like, well, could this be another explanation for what we're seeing? Are we seeing people who have passed on from this reality and they're now visible in another reality? And we're getting glimpses of them just as they may be getting glimpses of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Padre yeah, Pio was a famous Catholic oh. <laughs> uh, priest, and Padre Pio was said to be able to bilocate, to be in one place, to be in right. conversation with people, talking with folks, and yet to also appear many miles away to interact with the environment, to carry on conversations, two-way conversations, give and take, uh, and that's always been fascinating to me, um, yeah, especially when when the, yeah. the housework mounts up. I wish I could have two oh, of I me know, to, right? to help. <laughs> yeah, okay, you take care of the laundry while I'm going to sit and read right. this cool book by Marie. <laughs> Can you go grocery shopping for me? Well, you know, you hear about these yogis in India that are people say are seen in two places at once. And so I imagine it's not an easy thing to achieve, but that it apparently must be possible. So, you know, we always just kind of assume, oh, I see those, it's the essence, the spirit of the dead. They want to pass through, they need to get to the light. 
And I think that that describes only one category. And I, I think that that same application can be said for UFOs. There's so many different types of sightings uh, that we need to sort of branch out and think about, well, what else could this possibly be? This is Marie Jones and uh, her website. Let me find that for you here. Is MarieJones.com. And so if you go to MarieDJones.com, there'll be more information there on her activities and her latest book here, Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Haunting, Stories of Fame, Death, and ghostly immortality. Uh, imprints and residual ghosts. Uh, people talk, Marie, about things almost operating like they're on some sort of a loop. Like yeah. you, you yeah. pressed a, a DVR or a VCR control and you're watching an excerpt. Um, and sometimes that will replay because of the people present Sometimes that is triggered by an environmental change, a seasonal change. Uh, can you talk more about what these imprints or residual ghosts might be? You know, it's almost like, I don't know if, if uh, people have been to Disneyland uh, or Disney World. I don't know actually if Disney World has the same ride, but there's a ride called Haunted Mansion. And at the end, you're sitting in the car thing, and you look in the mirror, and they have a ghost sitting next. It's really cute. I think they still do that. I actually haven't been there in a long time. So it's almost like you're seeing a projection of, a, of like a snippet of a film that's being looped over and over. So it just keeps repeating. And this entity, apparition, what have you, is doing the same behavior. Maybe just walking across the room or sitting in a rocking chair crying. And it is, there is no awareness that it's being watched. Or does it only happen when there's an observer in the room right. to see it? Yeah, you know, that would be really interesting to look at. I'm not sure how you would test that. But um, historical places where there's a lot of trauma, like battlefields, they have a lot of imprint goes, asylum, sanatorium, um, things like. But even a, a house where, you know, the matriarch of the family died, mm-hmm. her ghost could be an imprint. So it seems like the trauma of the event of death has somehow trapped that energy or that particular action into this loop. And it's just sort of trapped in that building. Another real curious question would be if you, if you destroyed the building, you know, to build a hotel or something, would the imprint remain? Or is the imprint a part of the walls and the structure of the building itself? If you plowed over uh, Gettysburg and turned it into a park, you know, would people continue to see these ghosts that sort of reenact the battle and the trauma of battle? That would be really interesting to know, too. For future books, Colleen, you've got a comment here? Yeah, I, I kind of do, actually. It's because um, you, you know how everybody always talks about, you know, Indian burial grounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> the stereotypical Indian burial grounds, and it's kind of like they're everywhere. 
our, this our, point. Our friend Dale Bacon used to say, every place is built on an Indian burial ground. Exactly. And, and, yeah, the, and the, fun, the funny thing is that um, I, know, I know from partial experience that a lot of the grounds that um, I grew up in on the Macy Indian Reservation, and I'm native, you know, I'm Lakota, you know, I'm from Pine Ridge, South Dakota, but I grew up on my mother's reservation. And what we understand is that there will always be some sort of residual energy, and no okay, matter how, right. how much you change it, it's not exactly going to affect the energy that's been imprinted, especially if it's right. extremely traumatic. You know, like a battleground, you know, a battleground isn't just going to change just because somebody mm-hmm. turned it into a parking lot or something. So it's, it's like not really necessarily tied to a specific building. It's just there. It's, it's just going to be there. Yeah, yeah. it's just going to be yeah. there. But it's kind of like, um, I'm trying to remember where, I, I read this in one article uh, I can't remember where from but they, they they explained that there had been um, a building that had been in one of those places in France or something like that that had been standing um, during World War two and on occasion yeah. and on occasion you know that building's no longer there but on occasion people will still see like these soldiers running up the stairs but the stairs aren't there anymore. Right, like it's still mm-hmm. there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because that answers that question that, you know, they don't have to be specifically tied to the actual building or, you know, you can mow the lawn and it changed the look of the place, but it won't necessarily change. And the funny thing is, I mean, people die everywhere. They die, like we buy houses, we rent apartments. Chances are somebody died in one of them if, if they're mm-hmm. old enough and you start to think, well, maybe if we could perceive ghosts the way we do, you know, other humans, it would totally freak us out because they would be everywhere. Mm-hmm. And what does it take then for us to kind of get that little glimpse now and then that they're there, you know, in this other reality? And some people seem to be a lot better at it, a lot more equipped to see ghosts than others. Well, like, I've it. never seen anything really, you know, direct in my face ghost. But I know a lot of people who have, and it kind of makes me mad. It's like, wait a second, I'm writing about this stuff. <laughs> you know, is there something in me, physiologically or psychologically, <laughs> that, um, that blocks that perception? Well, let's explore that right after the top of the hour break here. Hmm. We'll come back and talk about that. And I'll tell you a story about a vanishing tower at the state penitentiary. Yeah. This is Marie Jones. And the brand new book that we're talking about is Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings. Her website is mariedjones.com. Scott Colborn, Colleen, Jim, and our special guest, Marie Jones, and you guys and gals. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. It's Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, and we'd love to have you donate to help take care of that last chunk that we're trying to raise for the end-of-year fundraiser. 
uh, fiscal year ends September 30th. We're a ways away from that, and we'd like to thank Jane for doing a big job. Uh, $2,000 remains, and she did 250 So if all the people, there are thousands of folks listening, if you did $5 each, um, $10, you know, give what you can, kzum.org, we'd take care of that uh, immediately. Your gift of a donation triggers a continuation of a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. So your money is almost tripled or quadrupled by making that donation and helping us achieve that goal. That triggers then the CPB grant money. So we'd love to have you do that, kzum.org, and we thank you very much. Our guest is Marie Jones, Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings. And believe you me, as I said in the start of the show, it's more than just celebrity ghosts. Um, I was up, Marie, very late last night finishing the book, (laughs) and I enjoyed it. It just uh, doesn't let you go. There is so much here. Uh, So we're talking about imprints. Let me tell you a quick story about the Nebraska State Penitentiary. There was an old tower, an old wall configuration. In a certain tower, there was a a, uh, prison guard who was despondent over some personal relationships. And unfortunately, he took his service weapon, turned it on himself, and took his own life. And that tower and part of that wall was then torn down. And they reconfigured the wall and and, uh, the uh, Sally Port, which was the main entrance for the, the penitentiary, was changed and altered. But to this day... I've got reports that staff, guards, prisoners, etc., um, that famous phrase, when conditions are just right, will see something out of the corner of their eye, and they'll turn and look, and there's that tower looking like a mirage at the end of a hot summer highway, kind of glistening and glittering and slightly undulating and wavering, almost like it's trying to gain substance and then going the opposite way and sparkling and dematerializing, mm-hmm. and then it's not there. And folks, get ready yeah. for this. Yeah. Um, from one of the prison guards, I got the name of the longtime switchboard operator, and uh, her name was Mrs. Luft, and she worked there for many, many years. That tower, Marie, had a dedicated phone line that was buried underground. Mm-hmm. And oh, after... Yeah. After that tower was torn down, there were several times when she received a call on that line from that no longer there tower at the switchboard. Oh, that I would quit. <laughs> I quit being there. Yeah, that's pretty creepy. So, celebrity ghosts and hauntings. Uh, pick a celebrity that you were interested in, fascinated by, that you were glad that you included. Who might an example of one of those be? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, there were all the um, old Hollywood stars that you would kind of expect that. Uh, a lot of them were killed tragically, committed, committed suicide or what have you. But I'm trying to, God, I'm trying to think. Um, I think for me, 
Uh, I would say Elvis, and I'll tell you guys. Mm-hmm. I know that that's what the typical response is. Oh, yeah, he's you know, probably the biggest star who ever lived to, to a lot of people. But here's what interested me the most about his sighting, is that he would, his ghost would appear all over the place. And I am assuming that people would report his ghost being in different locations at the same time. Right? We have no reason to believe that somebody, you know, that like he, the ghost traveled by plane to the next location. You know, he's, he's been seen at Graceland. He's been seen at the recording studios that he recorded his music and he's been seen at places that he likes to eat. So my question then became the same thing with Marilyn Monroe, John Lennon. These are ghosts that are seen in more than one location. Do ghosts travel? Are there, is, is there, uh, do we have the ability to perceive a ghost at a particular location when someone else is seeing the same ghost at another location? Is that trapped energy there? Um, you know, what are we, what are we dealing with here? And that became a little frustrating for me because I really don't know. Um, if we, if we kind of go with the traditional idea that ghosts hang out at the places where the trauma occurred, even though I think that that's not necessarily true because you see a lot of ghosts around graveyards, that's not where they died. That's just where they're buried. Then why, why are ghosts also appearing in places that they enjoyed? Like a studio. Uh, uh, Orson Welles, his ghost would be seen at a restaurant that he, he loved. You know, smoking a cigar. Why? Uh, what does that mean? Does that mean that there is there are several incarnations of this dead person? And if you believe in the whole parallel universe, alternate dimensions, that there are an infinite number of universes, and that we appear in many of them, either alive, dead, or in between, that might make sense. But I think to me that was probably the most fascinating. Now, somebody told me, and I got a really big kick out of this, oh, well, the reason why you people see Elvis's ghost in Vegas and here and here is because maybe they're also seeing the ghost of Elvis impersonator, who so loved Elvis and so worshipped him that in their own death mm. are appearing, you know, in their Elvis costumes. And at first I laughed, and then I thought, well, that's, actually kind of interesting. <laughs> Maybe it's true. I enjoyed seeing the picture of Harry Houdini uh, in there. Uh, Marie, I'm a uh, rock and roll musician. Um, and uh, so I immediately recognized that Houdini's mansion was in later day bought by somebody and turned it into a recording studio. And uh, the famous band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, recorded there. One of the attractions of that mansion was that, that uh, you could actually stay on premises, and if you felt like recording at 12 midnight or at 8 o'clock in the morning, you know, you'd make some coffee and go to the recording area, and, and it was just right there. So, you know, rooms for everybody, yeah. et cetera. And uh, it's been rumored to be haunted and... The Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, 
a band called Maroon 5 that has a connection to my town of Lincoln, Nebraska. The guitar player James Valentine is from Lincoln. So Maroon 5 was going to record an album there, a record a, a, a release in this Houdini mansion. But when uh, their lead singer found out that the place was haunted, he refused to stay on premises. Everybody else stayed there. Uh, but he stayed yeah. in, a, in a local hotel and then would come to the site and do recording. And then just as soon as it was done, he would leave. Have, so, Marie, yeah, in, in the, the compilation of this, <laughs> this, of this book, or even before this, um, are you a believer because of the intellectual knowledge that you've obtained that some ghosts are real? Or are you a believer because of your own personal experience? Oh, see, now here's where... I get kind of annoyed. So I have... I'm sorry. I had that reaction on a lot of women. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what you said. Uh, yeah, so so I love, you know, researching and writing about this stuff. Yep. And on that level, yes, I absolutely believe that there are... Um, that there, the paranormal is a real thing. What I'm not sure is exactly whether we are properly explaining... Um, paranormal activity, or that we're just being very narrow, you know, sort of tunnel vision about what we think it is. But you cannot tell me that millions of people are making stuff up or lying. You know, it really frustrates me when you hear people that want that sort of empirical proof or evidence. This may not be a situation where we're ever going to get that. We have to start looking at a different kind of, say, uh, scientific method, quote unquote, mm-hmm for these more personal, subjective experiences. The fact that they're happening to so many people, that tells you something. Personally, Mm -hmm. this is where I get annoyed. I have never seen an apparition. Um, I've never seen an imprint. But I have had a few, maybe four or five, experiences that I knew in my heart and in my mind were not right. <laughs> were paranormal. However, the ability to prove to other people that they happened just did not exist. The earliest one that I can remember when I was a young teenager, I had a best friend whose family was experiencing poltergeist activity. They were very religious and they had gone to their church it was not a Catholic church. It was a Lutheran church. And the church told them, we don't know what to do. You know, we we don't do exorcisms and kind of left the family on their own. So my friend used to always ask me to come stay overnight. And I, I oh, hell no, I'm not going to do it. I was terrified because of what she would tell me. And uh, it was mainly just things flying around, doors opening, closing. The big, the big one was clothespins flying down the hall and things like that. So I finally caved in and decided to, to stay overnight. I stayed in her room with her. We slept on sleeping bags on the floor. I had to go to the bathroom so bad in the middle of the night, and I absolutely refused to leave the room. But I think I forced myself anyway. Anyway, nothing happened. So the next day, we're sitting watching TV, 
And it, I think it was, you know, during a cold season, all the windows were closed. And I felt a very profound, cold chill air move through my body, like every cell. And my friend leaned over and said, did you, did, did you just feel it? Wow. And, and that was it. But it made me realize there's something there. And I have that same feeling. When I was very young, we lived in New York. We flew out to California often uh, to see family here. We went to the Hotel Del Coronado, which is here in San Diego, my Mexican one. And we went to do the tour. And they had uh, an area sectioned off with police tape, you know, the yellow tape, because they were under construction. And I remember walking towards it and just feeling like I was going to faint, like I was going to throw up this like wave of just awful energy. And the woman who was leading the tour said, oh, you know, um, you can't go in there, obviously, where it's under reconstruction, blah, blah, blah. And she said, by the way, that's a, a very haunted part of the hotel where a lot of people report, you know, see ghosts. And I said, oh, God. <laughs> Those are the kinds of things. They've always felt um, very indirect, I, I was on the Queen Mary several times. People were saying, look, look, there's a ghost. I'm not seeing anything. But then in other occasions, I will feel a shift in the energy and other people won't. Mm-hmm. So it's been kind of frustrating for me. But it's always been kind of energy-based rather than seeing something physical. Yeah, let's talk about, Marie, the way that we can sense uh, this presence. You talked about sensing and feeling. That's certainly a, a valuable way to receive information. Uh, we have the full-blown uh, sighting or apparition that may be fully embodied, that may be uh, almost transparent. Partial, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What are other ways that we can receive information that something's going on? Um, you know, people, okay, so people see physical apparitions or imprinted ghosts that look human. People like me seem to pick up more on either the, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the environmental or uh, EMF activity that's going on that might make me mm-hmm. feel sick or the vibrational frequency, the, the vibes. You know, we love to, in our language, say, oh, that's going to be bad vibes. And that's what I seem to pick up on. I, on another occasion, it was a Halloween party at a mansion down here in San Diego, and I went into a room, and I didn't hear the person say, please don't go into that room. And I thought, well, I got to put my purse and my coat somewhere. And I went in and, uh, whoa, it was just like I was pushed back out of the room by something awful. And I closed the door and said, all right, I'll put my purse over here. <laughs> and later they said, oh, yeah, you know, this mansion is haunted. That's where a murder took place. And I thought, oh, oh all right, okay. I'm not going in that room. And so for me, it's like you're picking up on shifts in energy, vibrational frequency, what have you. Other people hear auditory. I actually have, that's one thing I have had happen often, 
is I've heard my beloved grandfather, my poppy, call out my name. Oh, wonderful. I'm so happy for you, Marie. Yeah. Now, he had a nickname for me that nobody else called me. Mm -hmm. And I... Every now and then I hear him calling. It's very direct. It's not like, oh, I, did I miss, did I hear a car horn? And, you know, it's very direct. Um, and then there's, you know, EVPs, the electronic voice phenomenon where you take a digital recorder into a haunted area. You ask questions and then you be quiet because what you're hoping is that when you play back the recording, there will be voices or answers imprinted on the recording or, you know, on of the digital recording. So there's different ways, you know, that people can feel or sense or perceive this kind of activity. With poltergeist activity, it's very physical, but it's usually limited to, you'll hear people who are experts in poltergeist activity say that it's usually limited to a female child usually going through adolescence or some kind of hormonal changes. And that those hormonal changes and the emotion associated with them are activating parts of the brain that literally kind of create an electrical charge. And that is is sort of projected outward and results in the activity. So there's just all kinds of ways. Some people just feel, oh, smell. You hear people say, you know, my grandmother's favorite perfume was Lily of the Valley, and you know you don't have any Lily of the Valley perfume in your house, but you'll go into a room that maybe she liked to go into, and you'll smell that perfume. Mm-hmm. So there's, I think all of our senses can be engaged. Yeah, Dale Bacon uh, was a former uh, co-host here on the show. He's now deceased, Marie, and he told a story about going back over to um, his hometown of Iowa and to seeing some friends for a reunion driving around as kids do out in rural areas and then deciding to go to the farmhouse of one of his friends. Uh, the grandparents had died about 10 years ago, but they still kept the farmhouse. And, and uh, so Dale's friend had the key for it. It was a cold night and they thought, yeah, that beats driving around on these back roads. So they went to the farmhouse and, and uh, hunkered down and, uh, so Dale says that out of the corner of his eye, he catches a motion there in the living room, and he turns his head and looks down the hallway towards the kitchen, and here's an older woman that has a um, apron on, sort of bustling around the kitchen. Uh-huh. And about that same time, another person in the room says, wow, do you catch that? I'm smelling chocolate chip cookies. Does anybody else smell those? And everybody said, yeah, I can smell. It's like somebody's baking chocolate chip cookies. And Dale turns his head and then looks back and this uh, vision, this woman is gone. So he tells his friend John what he just saw. And John says, please give me detail. Dale described her and John said, boy, that sure sounds like grandmother. Wow. You know, she recognized that we were there. And so what what does a uh, wonderful woman like this do? She wants to, to welcome people, and she's baking chocolate chip cookies. So our, our sense yeah, of smell you know, is so powerful. Oh, it is. And I remember reading that, you know, we're humans. We're, we think that 
vision is the most important because it just seems like, you know, we're visual creatures. But the one way to evoke a memory uh, so profoundly and deeply is with smell. And that's why, you know, sometimes you go outside and you smell jasmine and boom, you're just, you know, back at your old house where you have jasmine all over the place or whatever, like or with mm-hmm. the cookies. And that also suggests that imprinted energy doesn't have to be the physical form of a ghost. It can be the sound of their voice, it can be their, you know, favorite perfume or something they love to cook. Baking, and I think that that's a wonderful way too for someone who has passed on to let us know they're still there without terrifying us. You know? <laughs> uh, because again, we have different kinds of sightings where they can be very scary, they, they're traumatic. You can see that the, the ghost or the apparition is crying or upset, but you also seem to have ghosts that hang out at the happy places where they just want to say, Hey. You know, we're here, we're here. Colleen and, and Jim, have have either of you ever had that same experience that, that Marie and I are talking about with, with scent? Uh, have you ever picked up on something I have, that... I have not, no. I, I have a couple times, actually. Um, like I was explaining off airs, I, I used to, you know, live all over the place. <laughs> that, that's kind of the Oglala thing to do is you're, you're constantly moving from one place to the other. Um, and we, I used to live on this college campus in North Dakota in, in uh, Bismarck. Um, it used to be a air force base, um, area. And actually there, we were in between where this college is located is in between the airport, the civilian airport, and then the military air force base. So it's kind of like a weird space. Anyway, there used to be this old, these old barrack houses that were, I'm not sure if they were being repaired or if they were going to be torn down. I couldn't tell. And all I know is like the whole keep out sign kind of creepy vibe going on. And uh, we were near there for our school. We were doing some sort of like... I mean, my, me and my friend were, were doing this uh, thing for the school where we were like selling, you know, cookies and popcorn and that kind of thing for Halloween. You know, like, hey, come over here, ha- have try these kind of thing. And we were there, uh-huh. and <laughs> and you know, it was getting late, so so the the people that we were helping uh, to prepare the stuff with, you know, was shutting down. You know, the little stove tops were turned off and everything. And we just decided to go and look over at this, you know, this these these scary, empty, barracks. abandoned barracks. And while we were there, we started smelling like aftershave, you know, like the old style aftershave. Uh-huh. It's kind of it's very distinct and sharp, and you know, it's very right, astringent. Yeah. And we were kind of wondering, you know, whether you know there was a homeless person that was living there or something, or maybe. Some college student decided to move in for some reason, you know, college kids. <laughs> anyway, and yeah. but we just, but then we got this weird feeling of, you know, being watched, that tingly feeling, and we decided to leave. And it was like, well, that's enough Halloween stuff for tonight. Let's just go, mm. go home tomorrow to school again. <laughs> 
So that's what it was, was this aftershave that we, that we smelled before this tingling feeling took over. Did you smell it first and then the tingle or vice versa? Because I've heard people say that they'll get a sort of the hair stands on end or their skin gets kind of tingly and then they see something or hear something. No, actually, I guess it could be at the same time. I, actually, we, we, we smelled the aftershave first and then the tingles first. afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, we yeah. were talking earlier about sensing feeling, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Colin, you have heard this part of my story before, but I, I had a lifelong interest, Marie, in going to um, Little Bighorn, uh, the Custer oh. Monument. Oh, yeah, Custer. And uh-huh. when I was a kid, I was a, sort of a self-taught historian about um, the battle at Little Bighorn, and I knew the whole lay of the land, the troop deployments, who was doing what, and a lot of that I'd forgotten as an adult. But So when I got married on our honeymoon, my wife and I said, you know, we're going to be in that neighborhood, let's go there. And about 60 miles out, I began to feel physically ill, like I'd eaten something really bad and sick to my stomach. But this is a lifelong want to do and so I just toughed it out <laughs> and <through> anyway. <laughs> we, we were so fortunate to get a, a Native American park ranger um, who was wonderful and she said you've heard about the one side of the battle I'm going to tell you now the Native American perspective and so she really filled in a lot of things uh, and so we I had a chance to walk part of the battlefield to be there uh, really to experience that, all the while feeling like I could just become ill any minute. And, uh, and so later on that day, we'd finished our, our tour, got back in the car and drove away from there, got about an hour away, and suddenly it's just like, oh, I'm back. No problem. Boy, that was weird, wasn't it? I was feeling just, you know. So I've always wondered, um, I met... I'm not, for me, I'm not so certain about past lives, but I've got some connection there to that uh, from the lifelong fascination. So I, th- I think that, that what we can do, Marie, is we can suggest to our family, our young ones, you've got a son, of course, that always to trust that intuition, that sensing feeling. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a great way to pick up on information and to, to trust that. If, if you're going to carry your your person code into a room and something tells you, uh-uh, not in here, <laughs> you're probably yeah. better off at honoring that. And you'll hear people, um, you know, tell stories about how, like, on 9-11, how they were supposed to get on that plane, and they felt sick, just their gut, or they were driving and thought, well, I could take the shortcut down this alley, and Something just said, no, don't go down that alley. And you find out later that something happened. And so, yeah, it seems like there's something within our own physiology that is able to caution us or, um, you know, just let us know that we're either going to encounter danger or that we are approaching a place where there's a lot of negative energy. But I also have to wonder, though, is so when you're like one of the stories that I have at the end of the book, a friend of mine had that feeling at Gettysburg and he felt like it was a past life. It was mm-hmm. that profound. It was that deep. 
mm-hmm. um, visions, that kind of thing. I've heard that a lot. And uh, but the other thing is like, is there is there something that paranormal investigators are forgetting to look at, and that is how we, as human beings, interact with our environment. Is there something in our physiology? Is there something external to us in the environment, whether it's you know electromagnetic fields or something involving pressure or changes in the energy near a site like that that makes some of us nauseous, some of us sick? So that is like a whole new area that people could be looking into is the physical reactions that tell us Something awful happened here, even before. Like in a lot of cases, people don't know that something awful happened in a certain home. But they felt it. Just like, you know, me in that house, it was like, oh, (laughs) this room feels not good. And I really could not have explained why. Somebody said, oh, it could be mold. Well, maybe. (laughs) But, you know, maybe it's the fact that somebody was murdered in there. So... Yeah, that's a really interesting thing to hear and how when you were leaving, it's not like you had that sort of residual icky feeling for a couple of days. It just, boom, went right back to normal. Exactly. Yep, it was like uh, for that period of time that I was in that that landmark, that physical proximity, I was reacting to something. And it may be that there's a part of me that um, was reacting to the the loss of life there and to the... to the battle itself, I, I don't know. Marie, when we come back from the bottom of the hour break here, I'd like to have uh, you tell us about a very famous ghost in the White House, Abraham Lincoln. Old Abe. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've... Uh, okay. I know of a, a house here in Lincoln that is an ongoing haunting in a neighborhood called Southwood. And one night, the woman's daughter woke up Standing in her doorway was a man that she described to her mom, she was fairly young, as looking like Abe Lincoln, and he was wearing a stovepipe hat on top of his head. Nobody resided in the house uh, at that time that looked like that, nor did anybody have entry to walk in and stand in the hallway wearing a costume. So she thought that was interesting. Right. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> Marie, Marie Jones, uh, her website is mariedjones.com, and this uh, incredibly thorough book that runs close to 400 pages, Visible Ink Press is the publisher. The title of the book is Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings, and uh, I've just asked Marie to talk to us about Abraham Lincoln when we come back here. We'll take this break, and we'll be right back. Our thanks again to Jane, who went at kzum.org and gave us a donation. Please do that. Help us make up the shortfall between where we're at right now, where we want to go in about two days. The fiscal year ends at the end of September. We've got two days to raise now about $1,750. So please be one of those folks that helps us get that because it triggers the Grant money, it triggers a whole bunch of good stuff. We thank you very much for your thoughtfulness. You can make that donation at kzum.org. Whoops, there we go. I'm Scott Colborn with 
Jim and Colleen, and our special guest, Marie D. Jones. We'll be right back after this. Scott Colborn with Jim and Colleen and our special guest, Marie Jones. Hey, next week's guest is going to be Jim Willis. He's the author of a brand new book called Lost Civilizations, The Secret Histories and Suppressed Technologies of the Ancients. Marie, this exquisite book that you've written, um, you've got a lot of information in here on Abraham Lincoln. What did you find that was interesting or surprising to you? I think he's the biggest celebrity ghost ever because of the number of people whose names we recognize that saw his ghost um, after he was assassinated, which again is a traumatic death, so we would maybe expect him to be lurking around. But uh, I will I will literally... So he was assassinated in 1865. He didn't die until the next day. But from that time on, he has been seen by... A number of people. I will very quickly read through some of them because there's so many. He allegedly first appeared to his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, and there was a famous photograph taken by a sport photographer in 1869 that shows his ghost standing behind her. Some people say it's a hoax. Others say, no, it's real. But regardless, in the White House, specifically in the Lincoln bedroom, Eleanor Roosevelt says she encountered his ghost during her time staying there in the bedroom. She would feel his presence in the study while she was up working. Press Secretary James Haggerty, who served under Dwight Eisenhower, and Liz Carpenter, who served Lady Bird Johnson, both claimed to have seen his presence in several locations at the White House. Former seamstress Lily and Roger Parts investigated strange sounds of somebody walking upstairs. The other staff members very casually said, oh, that's old age. I guess he liked to paint. Uh, Lady Bird Johnson has seen his ghost. Uh, let's see. Margaret Harry Truman, Grace Coolidge, Theodore Roosevelt, Maureen Reagan, Herbert Hoover, Winston Churchill. These people, upon visiting the White House or staying in the Lincoln bedroom, have reported him. I think my favorite one, though, is uh, in 1942, Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands, there was a knock on the door. She was staying in Lincoln's bedroom. She opened the door, and there Lincoln's ghost stood wearing his coat and top hat, and she thinks it on site. Um, he was seen outside in the gardens, at his gravesite, just so many different places, even at the Ford Theater. So I think he kind of beats Elvis the ghost that gets around the most and is seen by the most people. But, you know, we have a lot of people, a lot of famous historical figures whose ghosts are seen at the White House. It seems to be highly accurate. I, I was trying to remember from, uh, from reading if it was uh, Margaret Truman who said this, but she said... Um, the ghosts that I encounter in the White House aren't nearly as bothersome as the nuts that I have to deal with every day, referring to the politicians that were coming and going. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So. Yep, the, the ghosts <laughs> the dead, were... The dead, there's no problem. It's the living that it's worry about. Um, so, 
your son, uh, Max, what has he thought about this book? Oh, he thinks what Mom does is really cool. I, I, you know, I'm not sure what his beliefs are. He's very open-minded. I don't think he's ever had a any kind of weird ghostly encounter, not that I know of. But, you know, the typical 18-year-old, oh, that's really cool. And uh, I think his, his biggest fascination, as are a lot of kids his age, are urban legends. Because, um, <laughs> you know, they there's a lot of different websites that talk about urban legends and have stories that people send in that are fictional, but, you know, some end up being uh, based in part on something true. An urban legend always has at, the, at its core an actual event that actually happened or an actual person involved. So I think because of the Internet age that they're really into that kind of stuff, the, the, the urban legends that lead to horror movies that they enjoy. So, but, yeah, he thinks what mom does is pretty cool. Uh, Martin Caden wrote a book called Ghosts of the Air, and uh, he talked about a airfield that was used in uh, England that allowed planes that were coming back from bombing runs during World War II, if they needed to, they could land at this special airfield, uh, sometimes shot up, sometimes barely making it, and that periodically, from time to time, Late at night, people in this little village next to this abandoned airfield are awakened by the sound of an unmuffled plane coming in, the motor running really rough, very, very loud. B-17s without mufflers were incredibly loud. And people coming out or looking out windows and seeing this plane flying overhead with flames coming from one or more of the engines, barely clearing the the church steeple, headed for that airfield, and then they they see and or hear the plane crash land, uh, thinking that there's been a, a, a tragedy, a plane crash. Some of the townspeople run to this abandoned airfield. Um, th- the plane is on the runway, and... Part of it is engulfed in flames. As they get closer, they can actually feel the heat being given off by by the airplane. They can feel the change in the environment. And then, as we described earlier, Martin wrote that this is almost like a mirage. Suddenly, it starts to fade, and in a little bit of time, it's gone. The heat's gone. The image is gone. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, plane crashes, train accident sites, um, auto crashes, there are often a lot of ghosts reporting those, especially plane crashes because there's so many people on board and so when one of them does crash and, you know, you lose 260 or 70 passengers and crew, you feel like there's bound to be a lot of imprinted traumatic energy associated with that. So... That, that makes a lot of sense to me. And those are some of the creepier stories, too. I'm, you know, I'm not afraid of flying so much, but it, it, that just, yeah. I mean, the, the Ghost of Flight Fairy 1, there's, there's a, a famous movie about the plane crash of Eastern Airlines Fairy 1 to the Everglades. Lots of hauntings after that, including the pilot and co-pilot 
there's ghosts appearing on other planes. Like they were warning the cabin, you know, the crew, mm-hmm. um, be careful. There's about to be a fire or, you know, be careful of this or that. So, yeah, it definitely, I think, if you live near the site of a major plane crash, there's bound to be a lot of activity, a lot of reports of people crying, uh, apparitions that seem to be wandering the crash site as if they're looking for something, maybe loved ones that also died. Jim, have you been into the uh, that old jail up in Council Bluffs? I have not, no. I've always wanted to go there, but just haven't made it yet. I've heard some paranormal groups have mm-hmm. gone to the Birdcage Jail. It's, uh, yeah, it's a popular place up there. That have experienced um, yeah, a num- number of anomalous phenomena. There's, there's some stories. We've got in the book written by Marie, Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Haunting, she talks about uh, ghost trains and... Uh, Famous stories of ghost ships, a.k.a. the Flying Dutchman. Uh, some of the, the very weird stories of ships that were found that were fully functional, that had lots of food on board, a healthy supply of alcohol, and <laughs> nobody on board. Mm-hmm. You know, where did, the, where did the people go? Um, I didn't go into this deeply, but there's also some areas that are almost in the way that they seem to focus lots of activity. They're like the Bermuda Triangle, and apparently there's one in Alaska. They're all over the place. There's a couple in, uh, not in San Diego necessarily, but canyon areas a little to the north of me. Um, Beverly Hills is what's called the Beverly Hills Triangle, where there have been a number of murders and mob hits and ghostly apparitions that appear. Um, oh, gosh, I just blanked on the Bridgewater mm-hmm. back east. And the Great Lakes has a triangle where a lot of ships have disappeared that a lot of people don't know about. So, yeah, there seem to be these hot spots where you get a lot more paranormal activity, cryptid sightings, even UFO sightings than you might normally get somewhere else. Uh, Maria, Actually, we-, we do have one here. We do have one here in San Diego that I found out about after I wrote the book. And it's down close to the border, and it's a street, uh, a road, very desolate, where people have reported men in black, or not men in black, uh, black-eyed children, cryptids, UFOs and apparitions, especially hitchhiking apparitions, which seems to be a really common urban legend all over the country. I haven't gone down there yet. I just found out about it. Again, I didn't know it existed. So if there was ever a book, too. Yes, I I hope that you do that. Um, It's been a pleasure, Marie, to have you on the show here. uh, And... Thank you very much for this great book. Oh, thank you. Um, it's a book that I'm going to recommend to a lot of people because it is just in the best possible use of the word exhaustive because it's not shallow at all. This is a really detailed book that runs close to 400 pages and it's just filled with stuff. So thank you. I, I hope this is that. well received by people and I hope it continues to lead you forward into uh, new literary ventures as well as your own personal adventures. And, Marie, I appreciate you you and your work very much. 
thank you for taking time to be with us. Oh, you're so welcome. It's been a pleasure. And uh, uh, Marie, this is something we talked about a little bit off the air, but think about this for book two, Haunted Radio Stations. You know what? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I've heard about that. So yes, and Scott I'll has some. Scott has some stories. Okay, I'll have to put the word out if I if I get to do a book too. I'll be in touch. There you go. <laughs> okay, and um, what uh, does Max still live at home? He does. Yeah, he just he's eighteen. He just started college classes. Okay, cool. All the best to Max, and I hope you have oh, a great rest you. of weekend, Marie. Thank you. You too. Thanks, guys. Take care. Marie Jones, the, the author of this brand new book, Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings. Hey, stay tuned for Beta Radio. Um, Look who's out here, Scott. This is a, a kind of a test bed, and it's going to have uh, an, an old friend of ours, Victor. He's going to be up here. Yeah, I thought I saw a ghost. Uh, he's going to have some fun here with Beta Radio. Hey, who's up next week? Jim Willis, Lost Civilizations, The Secret Histories, and suppressed technologies of the ancients. Our last show of September, and then we come back next week into October, and we'll be about uh, two weeks, roughly, week and a half away from our anniversary of 35 years on the air. We appreciate you very much for listening. Thank you for your support. And if you can help us cover that shortfall with a small donation, please do so. If you found the program worthwhile today, all the more reason to make a donation, kzum.org. Thank you so much. Colleen, Jim, have a great rest of the day. Thanks for being here. Thanks. You too, Scott. And Victor, you can come on in anytime you want to. Yeah. Hi. Hello there. How's it going? This is live radio. And we haven't been telling any stories about you that aren't true. That's a fact. Now, we can change our minds very quickly. We got a couple of minutes here. And we can make stuff up. Did you hear the one? No. What do you got coming up for us, Victor? Well, you know, I'm going to be co-hosting with uh, Deb Anderson, and we're going to try a program called Musical Tag. Musical Tag. I'll be playing something, and she's going to... Bounce off of it completely ad lib. Okay. Sounds like fun. I have no idea what I'm going to play today. More coming up. Uh, he's going to find out what he's going to play in just a couple of minutes, as, as you will as well. Always fun with Victor back at the helm here. Yeah. Thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you folks next week. Until then, walk in beauty. <laughs>